friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. So we're now ready to go back to our series on the Beatitudes. And so shall we rise, please, from our seats? And let's take a look at the book of Matthew, chapter 5 and verse 5 at this time. At the count of three, we will all read together aloud, please. One, two, read. Blessed are the gentle for they shall inherit the earth. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you for what you have accomplished in our midst, O oh God, and the things that you will still continue to do. And Lord, we rejoice that you are the sovereign God and that you are seated on the throne and that there is never a time that you are taken by surprise. And so we rejoice and exult in your sovereignty and in your providential dealings with us. And today, once again, is no different. You've laid aside purposes, Lord, for your people. And we know that you love us. We know that you care for us. We know that you know our deepest needs, even the needs, Lord, that we may not be aware of. So we pray, O oh God, humbly, that you might speak to us, your people. As for myself, O oh God, I seek your blessed anointing and your wisdom so that as I speak, Lord, I might speak with the voice of a prophet. I pray, Lord, that you will speak even beyond the manuscript that was prepared. And I trust, Lord, that you will glorify your name in our midst as you've always done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've entitled this morning's sermon, Gentle Conquest, and that sounds absurd, right? How can gentleness be something that will cause us to conquer? And basically, if we think about the world's mindset, the world believes that it is the tough that is able to conquer. The world believes that it is force that wins. However, as we take a look at this particular passage of Scripture, you and I will discover a new way by which you and I should be conquering. In fact, the true and genuine way to conquer. You see, the world's philosophy, as I mentioned to you, is the force wins. And this is the reason why Hollywood somehow builds their stories on people who are tough, because they're the ones who win. Hollywood simply gives us the things that we actually clamor for. So we have certain icons, modern-day icons like Dwayne Johnson, and you have Jason Statham, you have Vin Diesel, and you have Daniel Craig. These are the people that are idolized by a lot of people. And once again, it's because people believe that it is the tough that win. Now, while this, this might be perfectly fine in so far as the world of make-believe is concerned, we need to understand it is not the virtuous way, or maybe to be specific, it is not the Christian way. The world believes that it is cool to be tough. And not only that, they believe that it is the only way to survive in this dog-eat-dog world. And that is why people want to be tough. And we're not just talking about street fights, by the way. We're talking about being tough in your office, being tough in your school, being tough in your neighborhood. That is the way of the world. Now, if you don't act tough, you risk being bullied, and nobody wants to get bullied. Now, against this stream of thinking, Jesus tells us, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. So Jesus teaches us the art of gentle conquest. Isn't it interesting that many times the way the world thinks 
is the opposite of how views things from above. And that's why we have to learn the way of God because Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. And so if we truly want a blessed life, if we truly want a life that has the favor and the grace of God working abundantly in our lives, we need to follow the way of Jesus Christ. Allow me to show you the outline for this morning's sermon just so we get the flow. It's actually a very simple one. It speaks about the happiness of the gentle. Once again, the word blessed speaks about happiness. And we all want to be happy. We all want to be blessed. And God is saying, you want to be happy? Well, you have to be gentle. Now, we will take a look at certain definitions and then also the characteristics of it, just so we know how it plays out. And then we'll also take a look at the reward of the gentle. Actually, you see this outline in all of the Beatitudes. And once again, this is really the pattern that we will take a look at. So we're going to talk about how gentleness looks like and how it shall be rewarded. So let's go straight away to the happiness of the gentle. First, a definition. Gentle is from the Greek word praus, which basically means mild or soft. The term was sometimes used to describe a soothing medicine or a soft breeze, all right? So oftentimes the word is used in that sense. It was also used of cults and animals who had to be tamed because they had wild spirits. And they were tamed, they were broken by trainers. And so what happens is you have power, you have power that is under control. That is why we find, for example, in the circus, we find lions, we find tigers who are tamed. And they can actually do certain acts. Why? Because they've been broken and they've been tamed. Such is also true with wild horses in the forests. You need to tame them. Otherwise, they will not be useful to you. And this is the reason why even wild horses have to be broken. I would like to add that if you and I are going to be gentle, then we have to be broken by God. The question, however, is how do we get broken? Well, first of all, we get broken when we have this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ because we realize who we are. We realize that we are undeserving sinners and we are face to face with the absolute holiness of God. And as a result of that, we become broken. We become humbled before the presence of the Lord in the same way that Isaiah was broken and humbled by God when he saw a vision of the holiness of God. He said, woe is me, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And so this tells us the necessity of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want to learn the way of gentleness that brings about happiness in your life, you need to have a relationship with Christ. And sadly, there are a lot of people who have rejected Christ, a lot of people who have rejected God. Today, it has become a sort of fad, an in thing, if you happen to be an atheist or if you happen to be an agnostic. People think it's cool to be an atheist. It's cool to be an agnostic. Uh, once again, friends, they do not know that in the end, their lives will end up in misery. We don't want that to happen in our lives. That is why if there are certain people here who have not yet had this wonderful, intimate relationship with Christ, I invite you to come to Christ and you will experience true and genuine happiness, a happiness and a joy that the world cannot give. So once again, there is a need for us to have a relationship with Christ because it is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that can tame our wild spirit, so to speak. But aside from that, God brings about certain circumstances in our lives. And oftentimes, we do not like to be inconvenienced. We do not like discomfort. We do not like adversity. We do not like trials. Well, let me tell you, 
This is the way sometimes by which God can actually mold and shape our character. And for that, we are to rejoice and exult in our tribulations because this brings about molding of character, in fact, to the measure of Christ-likeness. I recall a woman who was praying to God for patience. You know how God answered her? Well, God gave her a bad cook. And that's how she learned how to be patient. I recall a quotation which somehow illustrates this, and it's actually in the form of a poem, which is also a prayer. And the quotation goes, I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked God for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for but everything I had hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all men most richly blessed. Isn't it quite interesting that sometimes God doesn't answer us in the way we want it? Oftentimes, the way God answers is the very instrument by which God is able to shape our character. So God does not necessarily give to us the things that we want our whims, our caprices, the things that we truly enjoy. Because after all, the major purpose of God, the major goal of God in our lives is that we might become like Him. And in being like Him, we derive great satisfaction, joy, peace, stillness, and calmness in our hearts. Now, how does gentleness look like? Obviously, this is something that we'd like to be able to talk about because a lot of people have different or varying ideas as to what gentleness actually means. We can actually swing to, you know, different extremes, and we don't want that happening. So let's take a look at how gentleness looks like by taking a look at some of its characteristics. First of all, those who are gentle do not seek personal revenge. Revenge is a way of getting back at people who hurt us. But people who know the way of gentleness understand this, what the book of Hebrews says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. In other words, we do not take matters into our own hands, but we allow God to be the one who will vindicate us. We allow God, the perfect judge, to be the one who will judge those who hurt us. I recall the story of a person, and this is actually a story that is the opposite of gentleness. There were three burly, muscular fellows who were uh, riding their big bikes, and they happened to see this uh, cafe. And they went inside and they saw this little truck driver. And immediately, these three burly guys bullied this little truck driver. They took his food, they laughed at him, they laughed at his face. Well, the little truck driver just kept silent. Probably that was the wisest thing he could do. And so anyway, he decided that, well, there's nothing happening here. I'm being bullied, so I might as well pay my bill and get out of this place. So that's exactly what he did. And so this burly guy, one of the burly guys said, well, he said to the waitress, this man was, he, he isn't much of a man. He didn't put up a fight. And uh, the waitress said, well, maybe, maybe so. Maybe he's not really much of a man. And so it so happened, the waitress looked outside the window and she said, well, I don't think he's also much of a truck driver because he just ran over your three big bikes. 
Now, it may seem that this person was gentle initially. I think he was just being wise because he knew he could not, he could not win a fight against these three guys. But then again, he retaliated. And sometimes that's how it is with some people. They will retaliate. They will repay. And again, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, said the Lord. You know, one of the great examples of gentleness would be the example of Joseph the dreamer, who was sold by his own brothers as a slave. And he suffered for 13 long years as a slave and also as a prisoner. The time came, however, that there was a famine in the land of Canaan. To make a long story short, Jacob, together with his own children, the entire clan, went down to Egypt because there, there was food in Egypt. And so that's what they did. And they discovered, obviously, that at that time, Joseph was already the prime minister of Egypt. Now think about what happens right now when the father, Jacob, dies. The other sons thought, boy, this is a bad time because this might be the time wherein Joseph might just get back at us. Our father is gone. So they approached him with the intention to ask for forgiveness. And they were really surprised with the answer of Joseph. Joseph said, you intended it for evil, but God meant it for good. See, he was a gentle person. He was not willing to retaliate. God was the one who vindicated him, and God vindicated him mightily. I recall the story also of an employee in a construction company. He was fired by his boss for no apparent or legitimate reason, but he accepted his faith and he decided that whatever investment or whatever money he had saved up, he would invest it right now in construction. And so he, he was able to build uh, a wonderful business, a construction business, such that later on, he became the owner of Holiday Inn Hotels. And this is what he said. If only I could see the man who fired me, I will gladly thank him for what he had done. Amen. That, my dear brothers and sisters, is how gentleness looks like. Amen. The way of gentleness is the way by which you and I should conquer. Now, here's another characteristic of gentleness. People who are gentle are not pugnacious or quarrelsome. They have self-control. And we are to show gentleness in all of our relationships, most especially in our marriage and with our children. I know that sometimes what happens to us when we are in our offices is we become like a garbage bin, a garbage bin, I'm sorry. And what happens is that all the trash coming from our supervisors, coming from our employers are, are poured out into us. And we feel that pressure, we feel that stress. And sometimes, isn't it true that what we do is we channel that resentment, we channel that anger sometimes into our marriages and even to our children. We hurt the people who love us. We hurt the very people where, where God provides a safe refuge for us. And that is rather unfortunate. We need to be gentle with our horizontal relationships. We're also to show gentleness even if people hit us behind the back. I mean, we cannot please everybody. And oftentimes, there are some people who stab us behind the back. And later on, we discovered that these are things that are being done to us, and there's so much slander taking place. So what should be our response? Again, our response should be that of meekness. Our response should be that of gentleness. We are not to retaliate. We are to allow God to vindicate us. Here's a third characteristic. People who are truly gentle are humble enough to accept criticism and accept their limitations. 
they also accept that they are not indispensable. You know, sometimes we do not want to be criticized. But sometimes we have to take things positively. Is the criticism that we are receiving a constructive one? If it happens to be a constructive one, then it should be beneficial to us. And so if that is the case, it might hurt us, but we need to think forward and we need to think, is this something that is going to bless me eventually? And if that is the case, we are to accept and even embrace that criticism. At the same time, we are to accept our limitations. We are all gifted in different ways. I recall I was invited to do a funeral service uh, somewhere in Guadalupe, and I felt that the best way to be able to connect with the people is to speak in Cebuano. And I actually know Cebuano quite well enough to be able to communicate it, so that's what I did. But I just noticed that people were not paying attention. They were talking, in fact, they were talking rather loudly such that they became my competition. So I had to speak a little louder, but they just kept on talking. They were not really paying attention. I just told myself, Lord, even if there was one soul that was listening to that sermon, let that be a blessing to that person. And so come Saturday, the burial service took place. And since I was busy, I had a Saturday service. One of our pastors, one of our evangelists did the service. Uh, Pastor Donnie Sardilias, he's right there, uh, seated, he's wearing blue barong. And boy, did he captivate the people with his preaching. They were all ears and they were listening and they were saying their amens and their hallelujahs. And after he preached, they said that they were tremendously blessed. And I was sharing to my mentoring session, I said, you know what? There are certain things that I can do well that other people cannot do. But there are other things that other people can do so well that I cannot do. I have my own limitations. And I saw that in an evangelistic setting, Brother Donnie does his job so well. He's able to connect with people. And we have to be able to accept that in humility and understand that we have been gifted by God in different ways. I mean, how many people, for example, are like Ravi Zacharias? I was listening to him as he was debating an atheist. And boy, as I was listening to him, I could just, I was just in awe of the kind of wisdom and the kind of perception and the kind of communication skills that he had to debunk the claims of this atheist. Not many people can be like him, but I'm sure that Ravi as well cannot do certain things that other people can do well. So the whole point of gentleness is having a humble heart, acknowledging the fact that we have certain limitations, acknowledging the fact that because we have limitations and we have weaknesses, we have certain vulnerable spots, we have to be able to listen to people so that we can grow, we can grow and become better people. At the same time, we must never ever think that we are indispensable. See, the problem with the Jews during the time of Jesus Christ was they were so proud that they were not able to see their own, you know, their own weaknesses, their own sins, their own transgressions. Let's dive into one of the conversations that Jesus had with some of the Jews. Take a look at John chapter 8, beginning at verse 31, please. It says here, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now take a look at how they answered Jesus Christ in verse 33. It says, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and, and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. 
how is it that you say you will become free? Now, that's quite intriguing. You know why? Because if you pay attention to what verse 33 is saying or what the Jews were saying in verse 33, they were saying that they had never, ever been enslaved. Now, that's a little intriguing. You know why? Because you go to the book of Judges, they had been conquered by different nations several times. And in their most recent past, during the time of Jesus Christ, they were conquered by the Assyrians, they were conquered by the Babylonians, they were conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire, they were conquered by the Greeks, they were conquered by the Syrians, and they were conquered by the Romans. So how is it that they would say, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone? What do you call that? You call that spiritual blindness. Their history was replete with all of this conquest, and yet they did not see that. They saw themselves as free men. The greater bondage and the greater slavery, of course, they had was their slavery to Satan and to sin. And yet, they were not willing to open their eyes. They were not willing to open their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, they remain damned and condemned even as the Lord Jesus Christ offered salvation to them. And that is rather unfortunate because some people are so proud, they cannot see their own weaknesses. They cannot see their own sins. How many of you still remember Muhammad Ali? Could you raise your hands, please? All right. You know, there's this story of Muhammad Ali. Of course, you know him as the G-O-A-T, the greatest of all time. And so at the prime of his career, one time he rode this airplane. And when he rode this plane, the stewardess told him or reminded him, Sir, you need to fasten your seatbelt. And so he barked at the stewardess and he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And so the stewardess was actually equal to the situation, and she said, Superman don't need an airplane either. <laughs> so guess what? Muhammad Ali fastened his seatbelt, all right? Sometimes you have to put, bring people down to the ground just for them to understand that they need to be put in their proper place. Now, there was this other person who thought that he was indispensable. His name is Dick Jones. He lived as if everything in the whole community depended on him. So one morning, he woke up with a very high fever. His wife called next door to a doctor friend. When he diagnosed Jones, he had viral pneumonia. He, he suggested, the doctor suggested that Dick stay in bed for several days, but Dick complained. This is what he said. No, I've got a breakfast meeting at the school. I'm president of the PTA board. Then I've got crucial business at the office, a luncheon date. And I have three very important appointments this afternoon. And then in the evening, I will be meeting up with the church building committee. I cannot be sick today. I'm sorry, said the doctor friend, but Dick, I don't know anyone who's indispensable. I suggest that you stay in bed. At that very moment, as the story goes, because of his high fever, he started to hallucinate, and he began to dream, so to speak. And this is what happened. In that dream, he saw himself in heaven. The angels were gathering around God and his holy throne, but everything seemed to be in disarray. Some papers were being passed around, and finally, after some discussion, the angels passed a significant-looking paper to God. He read it, and God was upset. God got up off his throne, and he said, Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. What will I do today? This was God speaking. What will I do? The angels in chorus said, What is it, God? What is it? And God replied, What will I do today? Dick is sick. Now, do you see God in, in that kind of a picture? 
Do you see God being taken by surprise, being caught off guard, and not knowing what to do? You and I know that God is sovereign. Amen? God is always in control. And we need to humble ourselves before Him and realize that we are not indispensable. Also, in connection with number three, those who are gentle are teachable. They are ready to listen and to learn, and therefore, they are accountable. Let me say something very important to you. I believe in the, in the importance of having a mentor. And this is the reason why I see it as a blessing that Edmond Chan, Pastor Edmond Chan, has come into my life. In this, in this day and this time, I'm 57 years old, and some people might think, well, you have so much experience in the ministry, so much experience in the pastorate. You've been in ministry in this church for 34 years. What else could you possibly learn? Of course, I can still learn something. And this is the reason why when Pastor Edmund Chan talked to me and said, would you like me to mentor you? It was a no-brainer for me. I would really love to sit under his feet and learn some more things about disciple-making. And I'd like to tell you, I've been greatly, greatly enriched by his ministry towards me. Oftentimes, he sends me his, his devotionals. There was a season for about two months, he was sending me devotionals every single day. And they're not ordinary devotionals. They are well-thought devotionals, devotionals that, that can actually become sermons in themselves. And so I've been greatly enriched by that. And having this relationship has caused me to grow. He is like an older soul to me. And friends, let me tell you, you need an older soul as well. You need to have somebody who will come alongside you, who will teach you the ways of God. And there are so many men and women in this church whom God has equipped, whom God has enabled, and you need to connect yourself with them. Be intentional in finding a small group. Be intentional in finding somebody who can actually mentor you. As much as I would like to mentor everybody, we're about 2,600 in this church. How can I possibly mentor each one of you? I can only do so much. But as I mentioned to you, there are some people who are equipped, who are able to do that for you. So may I make this suggestion that you be intentional in trying to find somebody who can mentor you, somebody who can teach you. Because a person who is accountable is teachable. Do you know that studies have been done in factories? And they have proven that both quality and quantity of work increases when the employees know that they are being observed. As somebody once said, behavior that is observed changes. Behavior that is observed changes. That tells us the importance of accountability. If someone is keeping an eye on me, guess what? My behavior improves. Now, we cannot simply say, well, God is my witness. Well, God is our witness, but we need the church. We need the body of Christ. We need each other. We need guidance. You know, there was this prayer that goes something like this. Lord, I am willing to receive what you give, to lack what you withhold, to, to relinquish what you take, to suffer what you inflict, to be what you require. And Lord, if others are to be your messengers to me, I am willing to hear and heed what they have to say, amen. I'd like to repeat the last phrase. And Lord, if others are to be your messengers to me, I am willing to hear and heed what they have to say, amen. A gentle person is teachable. A gentle person is willing to be mentored. And connected with that, here's another characteristic. They know true submission. 
Submission means a desire to be guided, to be corrected, and to be disciplined. Now, some people see submission as a dirty word. We all want our own private worlds, and we don't want anybody interfering with our own world. So when somebody volunteers to correct us or teach us or instruct us, we don't like that because we want to be in, in our own private world. We want to guide ourselves. We're, we're self-sufficient. We're self-adequate. We want to become independent of others. That is why, to a lot of us, submission is a dirty word. But do you know that in the Christian life, the way of the Lord is the way of submission. Even the Lord Jesus Christ showed that to us when he submitted himself to God the Father. Remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, how did the Lord Jesus Christ pray? Not my will, but thy will be done. He was submitted to God the Father. The Holy Spirit as well is submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said that when the Holy Spirit comes, He will come to exalt and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the submission of the Holy Spirit. And yet, in the Blessed Trinity, they are co-equal. And yet, we find mutual submission. The Bible speaks about children being submissive or respectful or obedient to their parents. The Bible says that wives are to submit to their husbands. The church is called by God to obey their leaders. And the citizens of the land are called upon to submit to governing authorities. The way of God has always been the way of submission. And let me tell you what submission is all about. Submission is not to be under domination, but it is to be under protection. Let me give you one very powerful illustration. You and I know that cyber sex in our city is prevalent. Do you know, and this was discovered by a non-government organization, that there are some street children are actually kidnapped and forced to actually perform cyber sex activities. And there have been occasions when some of these very sick clients actually request not only perverse acts, but actually to kill these children. And sometimes it has really happened murder taking place. Now, why do you think that has happened? Well, because they're street children. Because they're homeless. Because they don't have parents. Because even if they have parents, maybe some of their parents have, have just neglected them. And this is the reason why they're not protected at all. Whereas, if they were submitted in the safety of a home, none of these things would actually take place. And so here is a picture, here is a gory picture of what exactly happens when there is no submission. That is why submission is not so much to be under domination, but it is to be under protection. God, after all, desires our own spiritual, physical safety. That is what God has in mind. And yet, we would rather be independent. We would rather be self-sufficient. We would rather be self-adequate. We fail to understand that, that, that no man is an island. We need each other. We need to submit ourselves to other people who can guide us, correct us, even discipline us. Also, gentle people are those who do not throw their weight around, but rely on God to give them their due. They also do not rely on people of power and influence to manipulate their situation to a favorable one. I don't know if you know who Christian Herter is. He was the governor of Massachusetts at that time, and he was running for re-election. And so he had to do a lot of things, so he did not have his breakfast. 
He did not have his lunch, but he needed to catch up with barbecue. And so he was lining up just to get one piece of chicken because that was what was going to be distributed to all those who attended the barbecue. And so finally, he reaches the lady in charge of distributing the food. And so she gave, she gave him one piece of chicken. And so he said, Miss, I'm really so hungry. I'm really famished. I did not have my breakfast. I did not have my lunch. Can I have another piece of chicken, please? And so the, the lady said, I'm sorry, sir, but it's only one piece of chicken per person. You know, usually, uh, Governor Herter was, was a very modest man, but at this time, he felt that because he was hungry, maybe he can throw his weight a little bit. So he said to this lady, do you know who I am? And the lady said, I don't know who you are. Well, I am the governor of this state. And so the lady was equal to the situation, and she said, do you know who I am? <laughs> no, I don't know who you are. Who are you? I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. You get one piece. Please move on, sir. All right? So he learned, he learned a lesson, he was put in his place. And one good example of a person who was gentle was Abraham himself. If you recall, there was a time when God had prospered and blessed Abraham and Lot such that they had a lot of livestock. So their people were fighting against each other. And as a result of that, Abraham said to Lot, you know, maybe it's time that we separate just for peace sake. And so he said to Lot, remember he was the uncle and the promise for the land of Canaan was given to Abraham, not to Lot. But this is what Abraham said. You choose the best part of the land. You choose whatever you want. So he was giving preference to his younger nephew and the fact that he was the one who was given the promise by God meant that he was really a very humble and gentle person. And yet he gave preference to Lot. And Lot obviously picked the most fertile place, which was Sodom and Gomorrah. We know the story of what happened there. But right after that, there's, this is what God said to Abraham. Walk around, go to the north, go to the east, go to the west, and go to the south. And all that you see, that is yours. God had rewarded the gentleness of Abraham. Another characteristic of gentle people is, is they do not seize their power or position by force or trickery. In other words, they have a proper appreciation of their position in life. They're not trying to climb the ladder, so to speak. Where God has placed them, they're content. They're willing to stay there for as long as God wants that. They're content and they do not seek to pull other people down. Sadly, in our society, we have this crab mentality. When people are being elevated, when people are being exalted, when people are being promoted, happy oftentimes. And sometimes what happens with us is we pull down these people by slander, by gossip, and many other malicious things that we do. And so the result is we pull others down so that we could put ourselves on top. We want to be the top dog. A gentle person doesn't do that. He understands contentment. Gentle people also work hard and do their best, but they let God do the promoting. Here's what the Bible says. Promotion does not come from the east nor the west, but from where? But from the Lord God Almighty. You know, David had an opportunity to kill King Saul two times, and yet he did not do so. And this is what he said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. You know what could have happened if he killed King Saul? He would have been ushered into kingship already. But David did not want to do that. David did not want to become king, at least not at the right time. At least not at the wrong time, I'm sorry. And so, 
we find that David was a humble person. And look at his prayer in Psalm 131, verse 1. It goes, O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child rests against his mother, my soul is like a weaned child within me. This is so beautiful. This is the heart of David. David was content where God has placed him. But unfortunately, some people are greedy. They're greedy for power. They're greedy for influence. They're greedy for authority. And they will not stop at anything just to be able to grab power. Well, let me tell you, if you are that kind of a person, it's going to destroy you. You will enter into self-destruction. Let me ask you this question. If you're thirsty and you drink salt water, what do you think is going to happen next? If you drink salt water, it's going to make you thirstier. And if you persist and continue on drinking salt water, guess what is going to happen to you next? You're going to become sick. And if you still continue on to drink salt water, guess what's going to happen to you? You will die. And this is exactly an illustration of what happens to people who are so hungry for power. They're greedy for authority. And the result of that, what they do not know is that they enter into self-destruction. Friends, let's work hard, but let's leave the promoting to God Himself. Amen? I know there are a lot of people here who are working in certain companies, and some of us really want to be promoted. And there's nothing bad about that, if you really think about it. But then again, don't just be greedy. Let God be the one to promote you. Let me share to you a story of a man who reached a plateau in the corporate life. Let me just read what he says here. He says, I am 42 years old. I work for a large corporation but I'm no longer moving up. I know that working for a large corporation is not exactly our current, but my father owned a small retail store, and after 30 years of his standing behind the counter, neither of us saw the magic of doing your own thing. But the big corporation, something plucked right off Fortune 500, a company with interlocking multinational profit centers with well-defined vertical and horizontal reporting relationships. That was just what the doctor ordered. And that was exactly what I got. Going in, I knew there would be a price to pay. Too much structure cannot be confining, but for me, the organizational chart was like a children's playground, a place to climb, a place to swing, a, a place to scramble all the way to the top. And that was where I was headed. I was headed for the top. After all, isn't that what it's all about? Year by year, level by level, I made my way up. And if I wasn't laughing all the way, only rarely did I doubt choosing the corporate life. Never being one for team sports, never having served in the army, I enjoyed the camaraderie that comes with being one of the boys. I also enjoyed the competition. Whatever the reason, I was immediately perceived to be a star. And though my corporation was too conservative to have a fast track, I did burn a few cinders as a steady procession of blue memos charted my upward progress. Over the years, I gained titles, windows, salary, and perks. These incentives fueled a fire that was burning, very bright indeed. I knew in my bones that someday I would reach the top. Some men might stumble, others might even fall by the wayside, but not me, never me, or so I believe. Right up to the day, right up to the instant when I learned the fire was out, the star was extinguished, 
the climb was over. I could expect the average salary increases due the average employee, but there would be no more leapfrog advancements, no more seductive little perks, no more blue memos. I was no longer climbing. I had plateaued out. Well, that was something that David could not say. David said, I do not concern myself with things too difficult for me. He was a content person. In contrast, the contrast of gentleness, however, is pride and harshness. Now, let me balance this. Gentleness does not mean peace at any price or compromise at any price. Because when it comes to righteousness, definitely that's something that you and I cannot compromise. We need to be angry when truth is being replaced with a lie. We need to be angry, brothers and sisters, when the righteousness, the holiness of God is being trampled upon. Jesus was a gentle person. And yet, we find in the scriptures that he turned the tables. People would have been scandalized if they saw Jesus Christ. Maybe you and I would probably be scandalized seeing Jesus Christ turning those tables and driving away those vendors. Take a look at Moses. Moses was the meekest man on earth, according to the scriptures. By the way, the interesting part was Moses was the one who wrote that. <laughs> but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Lord told him that he was the meekest man on earth. Anyway, having said that, Moses climbing down from Mount Sinai saw the people engaging in idolatry, engaging in sexual orgy. They were drunk. They were wild. They were reckless. Guess what Moses did? Carrying the Ten Commandments in tablets of stones, what did he do? He threw it down to the ground, and it got broken. That's gentleness for you. So when we say gentleness, we do not mean gentleness or peace at any price or compromise for unity's sake. When the righteousness and the holiness of God is being offended, we need to be angry. We need to stand in the truth. So finally, what would be the reward for those of us who are gentle? You know, the interesting part, and you've got to believe this. The Bible said, blessed are those who are gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. You know what this is talking about? This is talking about world conquest. That is what it is talking about. Now, of course, there is a timetable for this. We're not thinking in terms of having dominion here and now. The dominion that God will give to us will be then and there at the second coming of Jesus Christ. The word inherit here comes from the Greek word kleronomio, which refers to receiving one's allotted portion, one's rightful inheritance. It is clearly a reference to the millennial kingdom after Jesus Christ comes again. And this was exactly the promise of God the Father to the Lord Jesus Christ. Take a look at the Messianic Psalm in Psalm chapter 2, verse 8. And here's what it says. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now, most definitely right now, this is something that you and I still do not see. We do not see the nations as being the inheritance of the Lord Jesus Christ. You go everywhere in all parts of the world, you see chaos. You go to Hong Kong, for example, their airport is a mess. We had one delegate who was supposed to join us in the Global Alliance uh, Leadership Roundtable discussion, but he could not go to the IDMC in Singapore because he was stuck in the Hong Kong airport, and he had to fly back to the United States. I was talking to the pastor of Hong Kong, John Tram, 
And he said, there are many young people in Hong Kong who are willing to die for this cause. They're willing to die for democracy. They have told their parents this thing. They said, please understand that it's possible that I will not be able to go home. And what they mean by that is they're willing to lay down their own lives. This world that we're living in, there's pure chaos. But one day, Jesus Christ will rule and reign over the entire earth, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord of all. And we will be part of what God is going to do. We will be part of this world conquest. This is the ultimate vindication of those who are meek. God will give us the high place that we did not seize for ourselves while here on earth. In Psalm 37 verse 10, and this is something that I believe is relevant in our day and time. It says, yet a little while and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place and he will not be there. But the humble, the humble, the gentle will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. God will settle all accounts. It is the gentle who will ultimately conquer. That is why our title is just appropriate, Gentle Conquest. Amen? It is the gentle who will conquer the world. Give the Lord a big hand, please. Praise the Lord. Let's bow our heads in prayer at this time. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and we bless you, O oh God. The Beatitudes are counterintuitive, they're countercultural. It actually goes against the stream of worldviews and opinions that people have. And yet, Lord, may we humble ourselves. May we enter into your wisdom, not the wisdom of the world, but the wisdom of God Almighty. Oh, Lord, you know better than we do. You know us better than we know ourselves. And so, Father, we pray that you will teach us the way of gentleness. For you have promised in your word, blessed are those who are gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. We give you thanks and praise for this morning, O oh God. Thank you for opening the word to us. And Lord, if there are some hearts that have been hardened, Lord, we pray that you might soften them. We pray that you might melt them like wax. And we pray that the light of Jesus Christ might shine in the darkness of their hearts, O oh God, that they might see you in all your glory and in all your splendor and in all your wisdom, O oh God. We pray, dear Jesus Christ, that we might be faithful and persevere in the end. There are a lot of people right now who are falling by the wayside, Lord. There are a lot of people, Lord, who are drifting away from, from their faith, O oh God. And Lord, we do not want to judge ourselves as being superior over them. We do not want to see ourselves as being able to stand Lord, we know that just like them, we have those same temptations, and we too could drift away, O oh God. But Lord, here's our prayer. Make us faithful, O oh God. Make us strong, O oh Father. Make us follow the Beatitudes, O oh God. Make us follow your way. May we not resist the Holy Spirit, and may we yield ourselves to you, O oh God. For we know that you are our safe place. You are our refuge. You are our rock, oh God. And so, Lord, we submit ourselves to you. And we pray that your grace might just overflow upon each and every one of us. We thank you for this morning. We thank you, oh God, for what you had accomplished. And Lord, 
We thank you also for the opportunity to give our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings. Lord, use them for the glory of your name. For we desire to partner with you that every knee might bow, that every tongue might confess that Jesus is Lord. And so, Lord, whatever has been achieved today, we return back to you all the glory and all the praises and all the thanks. In Jesus' blessed name, we pray. Amen.